Hello and welcome back to the Coaching Bubble podcast. It gives me great pleasure to introduce season three of the Coaching Bubble. It's hard to believe we started this off as an experiment to try and break down coaching expertise for grassroots coaches and here we are now three years later. Our aim remains simple. We want to talk all things coaching to break down ideas to discuss key concepts and in doing that we hope to help as many coaches as we can along their own coaching journey. This season is a little different given the circumstances we were unable to have people in studio for recording so we went online but as they say every cloud has a silver lining and this new method allowed us to expand our reach throughout the global coaching world and they did not disappoint. As always, you can listen or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or SoundCloud. You can find us on all social media channels now at Bubble Coaching on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Before we kick the season off, I think this is as good a place as any for me to thank you all so much for listening over the last couple of years. It does mean an awful lot to us. I'm really excited for you to hear the guests we have this season. Thank you again for listening. Enjoy the show. On this week's show, we are joined all the way from Australia by Wayne Goldsmith. For those of you who don't know Wayne, he's worked across a variety of sports, coaching Olympic champions, professional athletes and teams, and winning coaches from around the world over the past 30 odd years. On the show, Wayne talks about the importance of creating a culture of sharing for coaches, why giving the athlete the power of choice is crucial, and knowing your why in coaching. One of my favorite episodes, could have talked to Wayne for hours, loads to take from it. As always, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Gives me great pleasure to welcome Wayne Goldsmith to the show. Huge amount of experience uh, in coaching with organizations such as the AFL, in rugby, in tennis, netball, swimming, to name just a few. I could list off an awful lot. So, Wayne, you're really welcome. Uh, delighted to have you. Um, I want to start with uh, your company. You set up WG Coaching a number of years ago. So maybe we could start with that and you can explain what it is you do. Yeah, guys, look, it's a great, great honour to be able to speak with you this evening, Australian time, but it, it's wonderful to be there. I've been to Ireland a few times and I love being there. I'm just so disappointed that I can't be sitting in a studio perhaps sharing a Guinness or a Murphy's or having bit even a mug of coffee, but we'll do with what we can do. Yeah, look, many years ago, uh, I've been involved in coaching and coach development for many, many years and... Sometimes I sit around, particularly early in the morning, and something will come to me, an idea about, you know, why is it that highly paid, successful football players will do crazy things, or it'll be, I wonder how coaches learn, or a whole range of things come to me. And just because I love the creative side of the business, I started to write blogs and articles and so on. And part of that was also that every day, I mean, I'm so fortunate, every day I get emails or calls or now social media messages from coaches all over the world asking me questions. And so part of the motivation for starting WGcoaching.com was to just get a bunch of information out there that I knew coaches were interested in. You know, how do you deal with parents and how do I know if a young player is talented and why get better as a coach? All those questions that I was getting every day, they generally spark my mind to say, look, there seems to be interest in this. Let's write an article. And and now, I don't know how long it's been. It might be 10, 15 years later, but it's been a long time. But I think I've got something like 500, 600,000 words of content on the site. And uh, I keep going back and thinking, man, if I would have been a little bit smarter, 
I could have written 18 books with the same amount of effort, but it's just not the way I work. I can't, well, I've just got to get it out and share it with people at the time. And when, so that sort of culture of sharing, um, when you started that, that probably maybe wasn't as prevalent in coaching as it, as it is becoming or, or is now. Is that something you were conscious of at the time or did you just want to get it out to try and help people? I think if you're being honest, the, the conversations that make this industry so brilliant are the ones you have with other coaches. So you're sitting down, you're having a coffee or you're having a beer or having lunch and you're sitting around and you might be talking politics or you're talking about football or television shows. And then all of a sudden a gem will come out. You know, the coach that you're speaking to will say, last week I was working with a young player and the player really lacked confidence. For, and you know what I did? You know, it'll be those little just nuggets, those pieces of gold that practicing coaches will share with you. And they go in a whole range of, of directions, you know, and, and over the, the time that I've been involved, that's the most exciting thing about our business. It's not sitting in courses, doing conferences and reading books, but it's those moments where you're sitting with somebody and you're kicking around things like, you know, what if questions, you know, what if we did three of those instead of two, or what do you think would happen if I put that player in that position? Yeah, that, they're the moments that, that, that sharing that we do as coaching colleagues, that's where I think your brain and your creativity really clicks in. Yeah, and that sharing, like, uh, I definitely think that that's getting an awful lot better now, certainly on this, this side of the world. Have you seen that over the years that that is getting better or have you seen that some sports are better at it than others? Or I, I'm just conscious that I know some sports over here are fantastic. They will share absolutely everything. They're so open and others are quite guarded and, and, and maybe a bit secretive. It is a good question. I, I was fortunate. The early stages of my coaching, I was involved in swimming and the national head coach was a guy called Don Talbot. And he was very much, even at that stage, he was someone who fostered a culture of sharing and a culture of learning. So I'll give you an example. The Australian swimming team from the time I was involved, about 1992, leading into the Sydney Olympics, we'd go away on a training camp and the head coach would say, right, Niall, you're writing the workout for this afternoon. Now in that room would be, 15 or 20 of the best swimming coaches in the country. But he would just say to you, you're writing the training session for this afternoon. Come back in at three o'clock and present your training session to the other coaches. And look, it was daunting. I mean, can you imagine that? You're a young coach and the, the national head coach, a guy that had had an Olympian at every Olympics since 1952 says, stand up. Tell us what you think you're going to do with the best athletes in Australia and in an environment where people are going to challenge you. And it was a baptism of fire. But what happened once you stood up, the senior coaches would say, well, it's not a bad idea. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And so you'd do that. The swimmers would be in that environment for two weeks, but you'd be living that as a coach for two weeks. And you'd sit up at night eating chocolate, no beer at and alcohol at those camps, but you'd sit up at night having chocolate biscuits and coffee and you'd just talk as coaches. Oh, what if we did this and seven of those? And what about if we started earlier or what if we did that? And he created it as the leader. 
I'm a big believer that that leadership is critical. They set the pace, they set the tone. They can be destructive, as they say, a fish rots from the head. And they can also be the people that set that environment, that culture of learning, that culture of shared experiences. And the coaches that came through that period are still some of the best coaches that we've got in that sport in the country because of that experience. I think too, if, and I can always tell when I'm working with coaches, the coaches to me who are very limited are obsessed with what I would call the what of coaching, that they think that they've got a secret set or a secret training routine or a secret strategy. And it's, it's that is the difference they think is in coaching you know if if i if my drills are better than yours or if my periodization model is better than yours then i'm a better coach if you've been around for a while you realize that stuff really is not the key to coaching and you know the more i'm in i know a lot of countries use a period use a accreditation model of you know level one level two level three and and so on i don't think that's the way we should categorize coaches i think you've got early on coaching is very much about what you know and for most coaches that means they've got one answer to every problem which is do more work i think then you've got coaches who've evolved a little bit and they're what i call how coaches and they've got multiple solutions to issues and problems and helping athletes and teams get better i think most coaches are in those first two categories there what coaches or how coaches then you get the exceptional ones the ones who understand why athletes do what they do you know the the coaches who instead of telling and yelling they deliberately create challenges and problems for athletes to solve and they empower the athletes to come up with solutions because they know how important that is in learning and you know again i i think where i see coaches reluctant to share is they're stuck in the mistaken belief that they've got some secret, they've got a technique or a drill or a training method. You know, guys, pick up the thing that's in your pocket, your mobile phone. Anyone can get anything, anywhere, anytime for free. What you know is not the secret anymore because everyone knows what you know. Every Gaelic football coach knows what every Gaelic football coach, everybody knows, no secrets in sport everybody knows what everybody else knows so if you're hoarding information if you're not sharing because you believe you've got a secret you're sadly mistaken because the real art of coaching isn't the content isn't the science isn't the workouts that you deliver it's your capability to inspire athletes to do that content with the intent with which it's written it's the art form that's behind it so you look, yeah, I see some coaches hoarding information and think they've got the secret to success, but they're very poorly judged, very, very sadly mistaken on that. Yeah. Okay. So in in terms of that, the 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 why you talk about coaching with a with a why, can you explain how we can develop that as coaches? So you talk about coach education, formal processes being a, a level one and level two, level three, etc. You think they're too too much too much concentrated on the what though in terms of the content? Oh, absolutely. The look when when and my background is sports science originally. That the mistake that we've made in coach education is it's too science based at the wrong level. When you're talking about elite professional athletes, you know, sure we've got to be looking at work rate. We've got to be looking at 
training load. We've got to be looking at recovery and nutrition and biomechanics and analysis. There's nothing about that at elite. 90% of sport is just trying to get kids to turn up make sure they're actually wearing shorts and the right color socks. Most of sport is very, very simple. And where we've gone wrong in coach education is, you know, the coach comes in to a training course and all they want to learn to do is coach. You know, my definition of coaching is it's the art of inspiring change through emotional connection. That's our art. We inspire change. Coaching is change. We are the masters of change. You go to a, a financial coach to change your financial situation. You go to a marriage coach to change something in your marriage. You go to a football coach to change something physically, mentally, technically, tactically in your football. That's what coaching is. It's inspiring change. But we've spent so many years in coach education saying, no, coaching is about physiology. Coaching is about biomechanics. It's about periodization. It's about, for the majority of coaches, those things are almost irrelevant. And what we're seeing and what I'm certainly seeing and completely supportive of is a lot of, a lot of sports around the world, they've taken the sports science out of that first level, that introduction, that level one, that beginning coaching. Because what's important there are, how do I build great relationships? How do I work effectively with parents? How do I provide safe, engaging learning experiences? I mean, in, in rugby league here at the moment, I've been involved in reshaping their coach education. There is no periodization. There is no physiology. We don't do any of that stuff at level one. Is it introduced at level two and three? Absolutely. Of course it is. But why does someone working with the under nines need to be able to design a 12-month periodized plan for a bunch of kids who just want to hang out with their friends. So we, we've got it wrong for a long, long time, but thankfully it's all changing. Okay, so Wayne, so what, let's say you're given uh, authority over every sport in the world, coach education, you're designing that that basic foundation level course for, for uh, all coaches what are you tr getting them to do? What are you trying to improve them with? What sort of tools do you want them to come away from that with? Well, first thing we do, and I, I am doing this, and this is a huge part of my work at the moment. The first thing we do when we get them in the room is we figure out why they want to coach. Because the assumption that we've all made is that every coach wants to be an elite coach, and that's not right. 90% or even more coaches just want to coach their kids because no one else will the vast majority of coaches are just there because they stood forward while everybody else stood back and they've been stuck coaching the under eight football team. That's the reality of it. So what are they? So first of all, I try to get them to think about, well, why am I coaching? What's my motivation for coaching? What's my philosophy about coaching? What am I doing it for? Once they understand who they are and why they're doing it, the rest is relatively simple. The second thing we talk about in those sessions is about, building relationships with kids about how to connect, engage, and then inspire the hearts and minds of kids. When then we talk to them about building relationships with those around the team, like parents, like club administrators, like uh, officials and umpires and referees and so on. If we're doing a two-day course, don't get me wrong, on the second day, 
we do sports science. But what we've done is we shift the emphasis from sports science being the absolute key to coaching. Again, talking about entry-level coaches, I'm not talking about professional or elite coaching, but with that entry-level of coach education, we've just said, instead of making session one, day one physiology of coaching, we've shifted that to the second day. I mean, if you're, if you're a, a coach of a bunch of under eight football players, how does knowing what ATP splits up into, how does that have any benefit to you whatsoever? How does knowing the, the biochemical compounds that, that relate to blood chemistry, how does that help your coach? I mean, those kids, they want to know, does the coach care about me? Is the coach interested in me? Can I have some real fun with my friends here? Can I learn some cool stuff? Our current coach education model came out of Eastern Europe in the 70s. If you look at why human beings are drawn to what we can see, we can buy, we can measure, we can count. So if you talk to your average athletics or swimming coach, they will talk about what distance, what heart rate, how many laps, how much weight the guys lifted in the gym. Coaches all generally talk about what can be counted, what can be measured, what can be seen, what can be observed. But, you know, if you've been in the game for a while, it's the immeasurable things. It's the uncountable things. It's the, the values like integrity and respect and honesty and hard work and resilience and selflessness. They're the things that actually make a difference and determine how successful an athlete may be. And one of the stories I love to tell, I was in New Zealand a few years ago and the New Zealand government asked me to run a coach education session for the coach development managers of all the different sports. So rugby was there, cricket was there, netball, basketball, swimming, everybody was there. And I said to them, I want you to come to that meeting with your level one, with your beginning coaching textbook. And they all walked in and I said, all right, guys, what's coaching all about? Tell me what coaching is. And of course, being professionals that they were, they were able to say, well, it's about, you know, empathy. It's about communication. It's about connection. It's about relationship building. It's a, I said, great, great. Open your textbook and show me where that stuff is. And of course, it's not there. So the, the people running coach education told me that they knew what coaching was all about, but they're not teaching it. So then I said to them, all right, well, now open your textbook and I want you to put a line through every page where the information is available for free online. And they must have put lines through 90% of their pages. And I said, so guys, hang on a minute. You're telling me that you know what coaching's all about, but you're not teaching it. And secondly, the stuff you are teaching is available for free online what the hell are you actually doing? And it was as, as blunt and as direct as that, guys, because, and, and I am sure, and I've been to Ireland a few times, I'm sure you've got people running coach education courses doing exactly that. They know what coaching's about, they don't teach it. And what they are teaching is normally sports science that's available for free online anyway. We have got to change. And when, what was the reaction of the, those coach developers when you, when you put it as blunt as that to them? Well, like most of the time, because they're New Zealanders and I'm an Australian, 
they look at me in similar ways that perhaps you might look at a group of English coach developers, a little bit of hostility, um, but, but friend, friendly rivalry, let's say friendly rivalry, that no, look, we ran a, a workshop around it. And I think that there's, there's times when you've got to be very subtle and you've got to be kind and polite. But in that instance, I felt they needed a jolt. I think they needed somebody to say, guys, look, and, and, and an old friend of mine who's, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, she used to say to me, Wayne, you are the master of the bleeding obvious. <laughs> this stuff's pretty obvious. You know, this stuff is not that clever to think about that. So what I've tend to do and a lot of my consulting is do that type of logic is to say, you know, question one, what is it you're actually trying to do? We're trying to develop coaches. All right, then what is coaching? And they tell me, say, all right. So you're trying to develop coaches, you know, coaching, but you're not teaching that. All right, then what are you actually doing? Oh, I've got a great physiology program. Guys, I am a physiologist by training, so I'm allowed to speak ill of my people. It's, you know, like you guys doing Irish jokes about yourselves. You're allowed to do that. And, and I can bag out physiologists because I get physiology and I understand it. And it's got its place, but not in beginning level coaching. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, you mentioned that, like, if you had your way and you were going in and, and, and this is what you do, that you try and get those beginner coaches to be able to connect engage and inspire with the with the kids in particular before then trying to get them to uh, be able to engage the various stakeholders that are around that could you give me a, a like a brief practical example of of how you would actually try and do that uh, to get them because i think people listen will say yeah that makes perfect sense uh, i want to connect with the kids i want to engage i want to inspire but maybe how do i actually do that one of the models that we use now is what we call just the technique is questioning look i'll give you an example the what we call the old model of swimming was the telling and yelling model so coaches would typically and unfortunately this still goes on around the world their coaches stand at the end of the pool they yell times they talk to kids very rarely about individual technique it's usually done as a group or a squad and i i've been fighting against that model for a long period of time because it's not engaging with the kids it's not really connecting with the kids it's saying that me as coach this is my training my program my workout and you will do it the what we try to teach now is we say to coaches the best way of engaging anyone is to ask them questions you know when i do coaching workshops i often say to people that the person who asked the question is the person who's really in control. So if you talk to each other, if you say to Niall, you know, what car do you drive? Uh, what color is your car? How long have you had your car? You're not in charge. You've got the information, but I'm in charge because I'm asking you the questions. So by being better at questioning, you engage athletes in more of a, an active relationship and they start to reach into their brain to the centers that involve decision-making and problem solving. So again, I'll give you an example from swimming. The old way would be where we would say to a swimmer, uh, we try to get them to not breathe on their last four or five strokes as they come into the finished, <coughs> excuse me, of a, a swim, because we think that that slows them down. Now, the old way of coaching would be to say, that's not good enough. You've breathed inside the flags, go and do it again. 
it was imposing our will or imposing our standards on the athletes. What we see now is, and what we coach the, the coaches to do, is to say to the swimmer, how many times did you breathe? So immediately the, the swimmer has got to go, I have to think now, what did I do? Then we say, yes, you did. You, you, you breathed four or five times. How many times should you have breathed? Because, you know, we've talked about going national channel. Well, coach, I shouldn't have breathed last four or five. Exactly. So what sort of effect does not breathing last four or five? So you, you engage them through questioning so that their brain doesn't just go, I have to do what I'm told to do. They start to understand why it's important. And they start to take ownership of their own standards of their own practice. And once you do that, everything changes. One of the most high impact sessions I do, guys, is called the power of choice. The power of choice. And what I mean by that is the, the greatest gift as a coach I can give an athlete is to teach them the power of their choice. That what I do, again, the old days we would say, do 10 of these, do 20 of those, do 16 of these. What we do now is I say, guys, where do you want to go? The swimmer might say, well, the athlete might say, oh, well, I want to be the best in the, the nation. So, all right, this is our training session or this is our set or our practice routine. And then I say to them, okay, guys, it's like this. If you want to be a good swimmer, if you want to be good in a regional or a county level, you do it like this. And I tell them and show them what that looks like. I said, but if you want to be exceptional, you can choose to do it like that. What are you going to choose? And I keep giving them practice sessions and skill workouts where I present options where they learn that it's the power of their choice that determines their outcome. And I say to coaches, it's the greatest coaching tool you'll ever come across. That if your athletes, you could, you could be the most awful programmer, you can be the most terrible workout writer. But if your athletes look at whatever you're offering and choose deliberately to make it exceptional, you become unstoppable. And that's really the art of what we do. So basically, you, you, like you're trying to just empower the, the athletes or the kids to improve themselves or to want to improve themselves and to know why and, and, and what they're doing. Yeah, and that, look, it, it's, it, those, those sort of choices come up every day. A coach asked me the other day on a webinar, how do I teach the power of choice while the kids are at home? And I said, well, it's easy. They go to the fridge and they open the fridge and they've got a decision to make. I take the easy choice, which is leftover pizza, leftover garlic bread and some lemonade, or they choose to make a salad roll with lean meat, fresh salad, and drink some sparkling water. What will you choose? So I, I, I talk to coaches that, look, if those of you that have got teenagers, and I've got uh, two, almost three, that that 20 years ago, coaching by enforcing discipline, coaching by imposing rules might have worked. You could argue whether or not it did. It doesn't work with these kids. It does. They're not lazy. I get sick and tired of coaches telling me, oh, kids today are lazy one. It's absolute rubbish. You've got to communicate a different way. You present the information as a choice. You show them the importance and the power of the choices that they make. 
and the consequence of the choices that they make, which isn't me yelling at them. I never yell at athletes anymore uh, and haven't done for a long, long time because you don't need to because I'll say to them, guys, if you want to be a very, very good athlete, do it this way. If you want to be exceptional and except if I was looking at the best athlete in the world, they would choose to do it this way. You decide what you choose to do. And I'll leave it at that. And then I stand back and I watch what choices the athletes make. You know, the, the coaches who stand there and yell and try and impose greatness on the kids, it doesn't work. And certainly doesn't work with these kids in this generation. But if you engage with them, you explain to them, and then you allow them to take ownership and responsibility of the outcome of their training. If you can do that, then whatever level you're working at, the session becomes outstanding and the athletes become very much on, unstoppable. Unfortunately, guys, most coaches can't do that because they feel somehow that's losing their power or by talking less and allowing the athletes more influence of their own training, it's somehow diminishing of, of their, their coaching. But it, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful and, and very, very powerful way to coach. Yeah, I, I really like that idea, just that empowering them and that the power of choice phrase, I think, is something that uh, that will stick with me. Just to pull on that thread a little bit more, you talk about that in the terms of connecting, engaging, inspiring with the, the athlete or the kid and then the various stakeholders after that. So let's say parents, it's how do you then deal with parents in that scenario or how do you how would you encourage coaches to deal with the with the parents or, or various stakeholders of that nature the parents look when i was a young coach my dream was to have an outstanding sporting facility built next to australia's largest orphanage because <laughs> i could work with the kids which is my passion just work with the athletes and i didn't have to deal with any of the idiot parents when you're a parent of four kids yourself, your attitude changes a little bit. So the model that I teach now, and I actually did a sporting parent webinar last night, that the model I teach now, are parents are partners in potential and performance. And I'll explain why. You imagine there's a partnership, that the partnership in sport is the coach, the athlete, and the parent. And each of us, just like, you know, if you're running a factory, guys, you know, the engineers do engineering. The manufacturing guys are on the floor doing that. The storemen, the packers, they're packing. The accountants are upstairs, you know, counting the beans and writing checks. You know, the CEO is going to meetings and, you know, everyone within an organisation, anyone who's part of a company has a role to play. And if we all do our role really well, the company flourishes. Now, in terms of an athlete, in terms of an athlete that there's a partnership of coaches, athletes, and parents. Now, what do athletes do in the partnership? They do the best that they can do. And I often say to people, look, sometimes the best an athlete can give you isn't the best that they can do full stop. Because, you know, if you've got a 16, 17, 18-year-old athlete who's doing their final years of exams, they've got a part-time job, they're stressing out about other parts of their life, you can't expect that every time they walk in, they're going to be absolute peak. But you can, all you can ask of any athlete is to give the best that they're capable of giving at that moment in time. What do we ask of a coach as in that 
coach-athlete-parent partnership model. What we ask of coaches, technical leadership, teaching physical uh, elements, teaching tactical and strategies, helping with biomechanics. With That's what we do, and we're trained to do that. So if I've got athletes giving all that they can give at that moment in time and coaches providing the leadership, physical, mental, technical, tactical, environmental, those two partners are playing their role. Now, the role of parents is the most important in the group because parents teach values. They teach honesty, integrity, humility, courage, discipline, selflessness, respect. Parents teach responsibility. Parents teach accountability. They encourage time management. They're responsible for buying and cooking food. They're responsible for getting the kids to turn off their electronics. You know, the role of parents is incredibly important. And uh, if you're a smart coach, you're bringing the parents in closer to you than ever. Because, you know, I, I did a session last night for the Swimming Teachers Association in, in England. And the whole session was called the creating the quality of confidence. And I talked about the importance of parents building confidence. And the model that I have for confidence, it's called confidence is belief times evidence, where evidence are all the things that coaches provide, hard work and skills training and the things that the athletes do, good diet, good sleep, good recovery, all those things. But the first part of that equation, confidence is belief times evidence, is belief, is how the athlete feels about themselves. How they're able to unconditionally love themselves, to value themselves and accept themselves as human beings. And all the research tells us, all the research says that that unconditional love, acceptance and value that a human being feels for themselves is in place by about age 10. And the most significant person in the life of human beings till age 10 is mum and dad. And so my belief is that in order for an athlete to become confident, they need a combination of mum and dad and their influence up to age 10, unconditional love, value and acceptance. And the athlete and the coach filling that confidence can, I call it, I can, we can, you can, confidence can, filling that can full of evidence of training and preparation and gym work and so on. And one without the other doesn't work. So I spend a lot of time doing sporting parents seminars and workshops and things now to say to parents, we need you. We need you more involved and more engaged and more aware of your role than ever before. I think that's a really, really powerful message. I, I love that phrase that the parents as partners, I think that's really, really uh, something tangible that people can and can can listen to because I know certainly uh, some coaches listening might be of the same opinion that the parents are always are, are they're against me or they're interfering. Whereas if you change the mindset and look at it as an opportunity to bring them in as partners, I think that's really really powerful. Um, when I suppose you've been involved in coaching for so long and across so many different sports, uh, both at, at high performance level and also at participation level. What's the biggest changes you've seen over the years in coaching uh, and, and what do you think the future holds for coaching? Uh, the biggest change is that the coaches who are effective now 
are better at building relationships with athletes. They're coaching more deliberately and more purposefully. They're very attuned to what we would call holistic coaching. So they're aware of all the elements and factors that influence and impact on an athlete other than just their sports performance. It would be fair to say that most coaching up until the early 70s was just anecdote. It was just coaches telling coaches, telling coaches, telling coaches. It was passed down. Then from the time the, the what we would call the modern coach education system sort of kicked off in Eastern Europe and went to Canada, then went to Australia and the UK and so on after that, that the last, you know, really not, sort of early mid 80s up until the mid 2000s was really, I call the era of physiology. It was all about heart rate and lactate and counting laps and training volume and volume intensity, frequency variables and strength and conditioning. It was, it was really the, we had 30 years where sport was more or less dominated by physiology. And now it's very much about, about the combination of mental and physical together. And, you know, everything you do mental, everything you do physically has got a mental component. And in very simple terms, what I tell coaches now is to say, guys, every time you write a training session, most of you stick with the big three variables, volume, intensity, and frequency, how much, how hard, how often. And when you're writing your training plans and your workouts and your practices, most of us are obsessed with what we can see and what we can measure. We're obsessed with the physiology. What I tell coaches now, guys, is I say, add another column to your training. So you might say, okay, guys, the warm-up tonight will be uh, two laps, easy running um, at a pace of 75% intensity, volume, intensity, frequency. I say, add another column to that. What's the mental and emotional lesson that you will teach during that physiological activity? So, you know, you might be working with some rugby players on scrummaging. Okay, so what are we going to do? We're going to do 10 minutes of high-intensity scrummaging practice. All right, volume, intensity, frequency. That's the physiology. But what's the mental and emotional thing you're going to teach? Are you going to teach relaxation? Are you going to teach focus and concentration on impact? So what I say to coaches now is everything you write, everything you consider, every training program you develop, there needs to be a mental and emotional component to it. So again, with sports like, you know, swimming and rowing and uh, cycling, those big, big uh, grunt sports, I call them the big time commitment, Olympic sports, we talk about speed. So I say to coaches, all right, write a training session, write me a training workout on speed. And they'll say, all right, we're going to do 10 times 100 meters at maximum speed, really hard. And I'll say, well, all right, what's the mental and emotional lesson in that? How are you going to do it? The faster you want to go, the more relaxed you have to be. Speed has got nothing to do with going hard or effort. Speed is about going as fast as you can with minimal effort. And in fact, tension is the opposite of what we're trying to achieve. So I say to coaches, all right, now rewrite your training session. We're trying to develop speed. So we're going to go 10 times 100 at maximum speed, but very smoothly and nice and relaxed and get the athletes to think about breathing, think about flowing, 
think about doing things at maximum speed with no effort. Excellent. So that's to me is where coaching is going. That's the biggest change is that we're shifting from being obsessed and focused on the physical to being uh, integrating mental and emotional with everything physical that we do. Uh, yeah, and it ties in really nicely with what you said earlier about the, the, the coach education piece, about getting away from the the what and, and talking about why and, and how to engage uh, athletes in that sense. Um, when we ask everyone that we have on the show three questions, so uh, I'll start with the first one. Uh, what does the term successful coach mean to you? As someone who's changed lives, that's without any doubt. The, the great coaches that I know have relationships with athletes where the athletes will say that coach is like my dad. That coach really cares about me. I would do anything for that coach because they really care about me. So, you know, I've, I've been lucky to work with coaches who've won premiership titles, Olympic gold medals, and a whole range of different success stories. But the, the ones that have impacted on me, the ones that are my, my mentors, the ones that I look up to and admire the ones who've changed lives, the ones that have used sport as an opportunity to change the lives of human beings. That to me is, I mean, it's, you know, coaching, we get more opportunities to change the lives of people than just about maybe except for ministers of the, the church or, you know, we, we have, the opportunity to change human beings probably to a greater degree because we see them at their best. We see them at their worst. We see them tired. We see them fresh. We see them successful. We see them when they're failed, you know, and, and we have a, a greater opportunity to change human beings than just about anybody. And to me, the best coaches, when I talk about successful coaches, they're the ones that have changed lives. Well, that's uh, uh one of the best summations we've had uh, ever when we asked that question on. So thank you for that. Um, the best book or resource that you would recommend to coaches out there? Just about any book that you enjoy reading. I have a little bit of a an issue because I'm uh, both dyslexic and incredibly ADHD and I don't read very well myself. What I have to do is I seek out people and I talk to them and I listen to them and that stimulates my brain to read. If uh, I was going to recommend some books at the moment, there's an excellent book by a brain surgeon called Do No Harm, where he talks initially about being a brain surgeon and only being focused on the technique of being a surgeon and about the physiology. But then he talks about how his own approach to surgery evolved to think about the soul and the spirit and to think about the families and to think about the impact on the human being of the surgery he was doing. It's a very interesting journey. A book that I recommend a lot to coaches is Stephen Covey Jr.'s The Speed of Trust. It's an excellent book because what Covey argues is that trust you know, there's a lot of things in coaching, those intangibles that, you know, like things like confidence and commitment and mental toughness. And there's a lot of things that people think are a little bit ethereal, a little bit namby-pamby. You know, what, what Covey, and he really started me thinking about this, was he said, trust is real. 
you know, it's like you guys. If I trust you guys and you say, hey, Wayne, uh, we'd like to do something. I say, yeah, 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 guys, for, I'm, I'm fine. Whatever you want to do, is, and it's quick. If I don't trust you guys, I say, send me a contract. I'll get my solicitor to look at it. I'll get back to you in 30 days. You know, if you don't, if there's no trust, it takes time. And Covey argues the critical thing in performance is developing strong trust because it's efficient and it saves time. So when I'm working with elite coaches and we've got limited time to get the job done, we focus on building trusting relationships. So I got a lot out of the Stephen Covey book. But uh, like I said, guys, I struggle with reading. I've got to read with a, a ruler going down the page and uh, it does my head in. But yeah, those two books, the Do No Harm and definitely the Stephen Covey Jr., The Speed of Trust. Brilliant. Um, we'll post uh, links to them up on the page as well. So if anyone's looking to, to uh, read them. And last question, Wayne, uh, your top tips for a developing coach. Be relentlessly committed to learning, which means accepting that you'll never know everything. So arrogance has no place in coaching. Uh, you know, apply the same principle to your learning that you apply to athletes. Our expectation is every time an athlete walks into the program, every time a player walks onto the field, the expectation is that they'll do their best and they'll learn something while they're there. You've got to apply the same thing to yourself. And that that you make a commitment that your rate of learning will be equal to or greater than that of your athletes. The other thing I say to young coaches is at the end of every training session you ever do for the rest of your life, sitting in the car, sitting on the bus or the train or on the way home, I want you to ask yourself three questions. Did I coach at my best? today so was i did i i i give everything that i could was i really on top today if not why not because if i'm serious about being a good coach uh, in the same way i expect my athletes to give the best did i coach my best today or was i slow was i tired was i dehydrated uh, because i didn't sleep last night was i hung over was i on my phone which is inexcusable when you're coaching uh, was I totally engaged? Did I give quality feedback to each individual? So number one question, every session, ask yourself, did I coach at my best? Number two, did I make a difference today? Did I change a life? Did I make someone smile? Did I make someone uh, experience acceleration from learning a new skill? Did I actually change a life? Did I make a difference? Did me being there make a measurable, tangible difference to the lives of those athletes. And the third question that every young coach should ask himself every day is, what did I learn today that will make me a better coach tomorrow? What did I learn from my athletes? What did I learn with my athletes? What did I learn reading, listening to the news, to music? What did I learn today? And if you're a young coach and you finish every day saying, did I coach at my best and answer that honestly? What, uh, did I make a difference today? And finally, what did I learn today that will make me better tomorrow? You've made a commitment to continuous improvement and to being the best that you can be. And if you can do that, there's, there's nothing stopping you in a career in coaching. 
I think that is a, a fantastic summation of, of the conversation we've just had in terms of how, how people can improve themselves and, and focus inwards and, and try and get themselves better as a coach. Um, Wayne, I really appreciate the, the time you've given up today. If people are looking to find out a bit more or read up a bit more, where can they find you? Yeah, if you go www.wgcoaching.com, if you look up Wayne Goldsmith on YouTube, there's, I don't know, 60, 70 free videos on there on everything from sport parenting, what is talent, uh, how to coach more effectively, can you coach winning, all those topics are there. I've also got a coaching school. Again, if you look up Wayne Goldsmith Coaching School, I've got three courses at the moment. One is on the soft skills of coaching. So how to coach commitment, how to coach confidence, how to coach mental toughness, how to coach leadership. I've got one on parenting, which is going to be released in about two weeks. On I think it's the first, I think it's the only online e-learning coaching program for sporting parents it's not for coaches it's not for athletes it's an online course for sporting parents 11 videos for sporting parents about how to choose the right sport how to find the right coach do i know how do i know my child's talented and a whole bunch of other things and on the same site wayne goldsmith coaching school on the same one i've got a series of webinars available as on-demand video replays and all of those things available but um yes if you if you google me unfortunately you get a whole bunch of stuff that um um sometimes you go back and you look and think did i really write that it's uh <laughs> and sometimes sometimes there's uh the whole i got the other day i had somebody on social media uh said something like uh they said what was the question it was a really weird one they said um you know, Wayne, you talk about high-performance sport all the time. You don't ever talk about sport at sea level. Uh, and when I dug into it a little bit, it turned out that that the person asking the question, their understanding of the subtleties of English language from the country that they came with, thought that when I was saying high-performance sport, I was talking about altitude training. And um, yeah, so you, there's all sorts of things online that are both engaging and entertaining, isn't there? Well, maybe the next episode we'll, we'll focus on sea uh, level training, uh, Wayne. Listen, I think uh, it's been <laughs> it's been fantastic having you on. There's loads of takeaways uh, for me, and I know people listening. Um, that culture of sharing that you talked about amongst coaches and and how beneficial that is. Uh, the learning through talking to each other. That use of questioning, I think, is really powerful. And and you talk about the power of choice. You're giving the athlete the power of choice. Um, the parents as partners is one that really stuck out to me and the knowing your why in coaching and that not everyone wants to be an elite coach. And I think the biggest one for me that, that, that jumped out was that a coach equals inspiring change. And I think if we all think try to think about in that terms when we're doing our own coaching, that uh, we, we'll be all the better for it. So Wayne, thanks a million for your time. Absolute pleasure, guys. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope you can take something from it that will help with your own coaching journey. As always, you can listen or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And you can find us on all social media channels, at Bubble Coaching on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please get in touch because we would love to hear from you. The show was produced by Niall Williams and brought to you by the Coach Education Department of the Camogie Association. Thanks again for listening. Till next time, bye.